welcome to the On the Top Coaching Podcast, where we talk about the new and innovative trends of the sport of swimming. Today, I have a recurring guest on the show, which is uh, Chris Ritter. Chris Ritter is uh, the head of Ritter Sports Performance, and he is currently going to have this new adventure that's been going on for about a year now, where he's putting together the uh, Surge Strength and uh, Dryland Certification Program. So, um, Chris, I want to talk to you a little bit today about you know, what is athleticism? How can your program help to foster athleticism in our athletes and uh, what all it has to offer coaches around the country? Yeah, Jason, thanks for having me on again. Always good to chat swimming and dryland with you. Absolutely. So Chris, my first question here, how fixed is athleticism? When we talk about, you know, if a kid is or is not an athlete, I think a big piece of the Surge Dryland program, which I'm a part of right now and I'm working through on my own, is athleticism can be a, a skill that's inherent and created. So uh, what do you think about athleticism? Is it a fixed trait? Is it a growing trait? What do you think? So that's a really interesting question, Jason. I'm glad you asked it that way. If you think about the history of swimming, and I think most coaches are going to relate to this, they remember uh, that pivotal window where you can get an aerobic base for a swimmer, right? Where if you kind of miss this window, it's going to be a lot harder. You need to think about athleticism and movement in the very same way. Once a kid gets 10, 11, 12, if they don't learn how to crawl, skip, jump, I mean, I can teach them, but it's going to take a lot longer to do that. And that's one reason in particular that for dry land for 12 and unders, my emphasis on skip, hop, run, jump, crawl, all of these movement things that are basically giving them as big a base as possible in terms of understanding how is my body moving through space? How can I manipulate my body? How can I move it with this rhythm, this speed, change of direction? The more you can instill that in a program, the higher the ceiling you're going to give that kid for athleticism. Now, of course, we know, you know, not all athletes are created equal, right? There are some that are, are going to be able to do feats that you're like, I don't even know where they started. And others, you know, they're going to come along sore. But I don't think it's fixed to answer your question. But I do think there are critical windows that if you miss, it's going to be a lot harder. Yeah, so I've got a, I've got a two-year-old daughter at home right now. Uh, my wife was a Division II college athlete. She was much more successful than I was. Uh, she was Division II All-American. I was a walk-on on the school that we went to. And by all accounts, and she and I have this argument constantly, I would say that I'm the better athlete than she is. Um, and what I mean by that is she was far more productive in the pool. But I think in terms of physical abilities, there were things that I did growing up that kind of made me into a better athlete. So I'm, I'm able to do things like jump higher, uh, run faster. She's much faster at swimming back and forward in a pool, which is a great thing for college athletes to have. But I think uh, long-term athleticism, you know, there are things that I can get into a gym and do things that she can't. And it's the learning curve that's kind of shortened on that. So, uh, so you're talking about these critical windows of, athlete development. So if you are me and you've got that two-year-old daughter at home, what are some things that I need to do as a parent or I need to do as developmental coach that are going to foster that long-term athlete development? Well, one, fostering enjoyment, right? We, we don't want dry land to turn into a punishment thing or, oh my gosh, we have to do this again. Um, but in writing off your point too, Jason, you know, if we talk about a different sport, I don't think it's a coincidence that most quarterbacks in the NFL 
played multiple sports. So this isn't just a swimming specific thing either. You could go across all sports. And I think youth athletics in particular specialize way too early. And if you give them the opportunity to reach out to other sports, to other movements, it's going to help them in the end when they decide, what do I really want to pursue a hundred percent? So as, as we're, as the kids are aging, let's say, you know, an eight-year-old gets to the pool for the first time and you're doing dry land. That's why a lot of the dry land that I suggest for the 10 and unders, eight and unders, especially is very game based. And the warm up is you do a bear crawl this way. Now you're going to skip this way. One legged hop that way, you know, maybe crab crawl back. And now we're going to do a game and that's going to be a movement based game where it's either visual or audio and making sure again, we're expanding their movement capabilities. And then we're going to get done with that dryland session in 15, 30 minutes. And the kids are going to be excited. Oh, that was so great. We played this game, but guess what? We're giving them a bigger base of movement. And you as a coach snuck that in because you knew what you were doing and you still got them excited about it. And now they're not dreading, oh, dryland comes here. We, we're going to do the push-ups again and the pull-ups, you know. And obviously with the senior kids, there are different levers that you can pull for engagement and excitement in it. But when we're talking about those little guys, keeping it fun, but still having a purpose to it. And again, there's a fine line between fun and doing something just completely random that is not helping, but it's just, hey, let's just do something fun. You know, I'm not looking for the circus here to recreate, but I am looking for a fun movement-based game that I can have parameters that the kids understand they can be safe, but at the same time, it's going to expand their athletic abilities. Yeah. And Daniel Coyle's talent code and culture code, he talks about how that uh, athlete development is kind of spurred through gameplay to start out with. And I think that um, a big piece of that is fostering a love for competition and a love for grit and trying to build self-efficacy in these kids. So, um, so you touched on seniors a little bit. One of the coolest things in module one uh, of the surge dryland strength and conditioning certification was you talked a little bit about building a natural super suit. So um, for coaches that are listening, 2008 to 2009 was the super suit era where all of a sudden we had, you know, 35, 40, 50 world records being broken when there was kind of a dormant period prior to that. Uh, and a big, a big justification for those world records were these uh, polyurethane suits were creating an environment for athletes to be more successful in the water. Um, obviously, in 2009, those suits were removed from uh, FINA competition. But Chris, you talk a little bit about how we are wanting to, as coaches, develop physiologic, physio, physio, uh, physiology and athletes that are going to try to mimic those super suits. What did you mean when you talked about that? Yeah, and, and I was right in the middle of that super suit era working with guys trying to make the Olympics. And honestly, that was a really jarring thing. I remember the first time we got one of the Jacob suits. And at the time, uh, Bill Pilzik, now the coach at uh, SCAD, you know, he was a world champion in the 50 freestyle uh, back in the early 90s or, or something in that era, mid, mid 90s. Anyway, he put it on. He got in the water and he was just floating on the surface. He just looked at us like, yeah, this is cheating. <laughs> this is like, this is, this is so on another level of what he was used to. So and I'm going to put point, a little story in there, Chris. So yeah. when I, I was like 16, when the super suits came out and I, I'd, I'd never worn one before. Uh, my parents were able to purchase me uh, a blue 70 and I had not swam in about a month. 
it was kind of like the end of the season. There was like a summer league meet that I'd qualified for to go up to Colorado and swim. And I was like, we're going to go on vacation to Colorado. I'll swim a meet while I'm there. Hadn't swam in a month, was at altitude, threw the suit on, did the hundred breaststroke, dropped three tenths of a second off my best <laughs> time. And it was like, <laughs> yeah, it's cheating. But you talk about a way that we can get our athletes to cheat in a more fair manner by developing their physiology. So well, sorry, I interrupted you. No, and that's okay, Jason. This is where it came from. So I wanted to set up the story fully. Like I'm in the middle of this, right? I'm working with guys trying to make the Olympic team where I don't know at that point, I think we were six months out from trials or the Olympics uh, for 08. And now all of a sudden these suits come on the market. So we're trying to get them. We're trying to figure out all right, which suits works best with what, what person and, and how they feel. And then all of a sudden, you know, all the world records come crashing down for the next year or two. And then all of a sudden they're removed and everybody's thinking, oh no, we're never going to break these world records again. They're with the cheater suits. We're never going to be able to get that. Well, guess what? Today, Jason, and I just double checked this to make sure my numbers are right. Almost 75% of the world records set are already broken. And we're not even 15 years after the fact. So to me, that leads, you have to kind of reverse engineer and say, well, how how did this happen? Especially in 2009, 2010, you ask any swim coach and they're like, oh yeah, we're not seeing world records broken for a number of years because it was obviously just another step that was so far ahead. I mean, everybody was seeing it with the times, right? And so you have to reverse engineer and kind of think, why did those suits work, quote unquote? One, obviously the buoyancy factor, right? The material was different. It obviously added a factor to that. I can't recreate that with your skin, right? There's no dry land program where you can say, all right, you got, you got more buoyancy in your skin or lungs are going to have bigger lungs. Imagine how much you could charge for that program. <laughs> that yeah, exactly. Be... I'd be charging a lot more. So the only other thing I'm left with is the constriction and compression part of the suit and especially that midsection area. And when we think about swimming, it's such a unique sport in that you're suspended in this fluid, right? You don't have gravity other than the, the walls and the blocks. There's no ground-based action forces that you're dealing with, which you are in almost every other sport. Um, and so having that as the thought process of, okay, that was exploited in obviously a positive way to get faster. How can we do that quote unquote more naturally? And the focus clearly goes to how strong is your core and not just doing a bunch of sit-ups, but being able to have tight tension through your body. Think about the difference between a kayak slicing through the water and a rubber raft. So what the super suits did is you basically covered the rubber raft with a, a kayak layer, and then you're able to go through. Well, what if we built up that kayak coating naturally? And that's with an emphasis on core training. And one example in particular, Jason, just recently, a fellow Texas coach in your area, Ann Burke, she works with just the 12 and unders uh, at Perlin's Aquatics. And they're in and out of the pool. It's just crazy with COVID, right? Two weeks on, two weeks off, all this stuff. And she's working with the little guys. What's the most important thing with little guys? Streamlines. And they weren't in the water for three weeks. So you would think their streamlines would get worse. She's going through, she's becoming SSDC. She's seeing how to create a core training program, doing the, you know, the Zoom live like everybody else is doing with their dryland workouts. They get back in the water three weeks later and she is amazed. They're like, these, these look like different kids. They're, they're just gliding through the water. Their strokes are looking bigger. And it wasn't just her, all the coaches noticed the difference. And it comes back to when you put 
an emphasis on core number one and then properly program it, it's really incredible what kind of results you can get only in a few weeks. And she was actually telling the kids that. She's like, all right, guys, we're doing our super suit routine now, right? We're all getting our natural super suits. Let's talk about enjoyment, right? She's getting these 10 and 12 year olds all fired up that, yeah, we're getting strong. We're getting tough. We're going to slice through that water. And you think about what the senior coach above her is looking forward to now that she's not only got her kids really tight streamlines, but a strong core to carry that line through the water. Now the senior coach can take that and run even more and not have to go back to square one and work on that. And just kind of piggyback on that, Chris, like Cesar Cielo and Florent Matadu and um, Paul Biederman, they were all really big, burly guys. And now we see kind of like a more slender athlete, like a Caleb Dressel, that's a little bit more of a kayak that, I don't know if Caleb would have benefited a whole lot in the 2008, 2009 super suit era. He did that, uh, the speedo expo where he put on a super suit and tried to see what he could do. And, um, granted there's a whole lot of reasons why he probably didn't go as fast as he did at ISL, but I don't think that he was going to be an athlete that benefited a whole lot because his natural physiology kind of, uh, lends to what those super suits were doing. Um, so let's talk about SSDC. So, uh, can you give us just a brief overview of what that dryland certification is, what it entails, what do I have to look forward to in my next 20 to 22 hours of certification? Yeah, so it was just about a year ago that we really started thinking like, do we need to do this? And, you know, a year ago, everybody's out of the pool, we're on lockdown all across, you know, at least the states and thinking, all right, coaches are having to scramble, run these dryland sessions via Zoom and trying to figure out, all right, what, what equipment do the kids have at home? And just, it just seemed like chaos and coaches were trying to figure out how do I make this work and at least keep the kids engaged and, and maybe there's some improvement, right? Or maybe I can just not let them slide back and deteriorate. So when we get back in the water, it's not going to be starting back, you know, two or three years. And so we, we put this together in terms of how do we train teams and individuals right now? And we go through a process, a process that you can repeat, but also adjust based on, you know, the athlete you're working with, the time of season, a couple other factors. And so I, I tried to construct it that if you were on the backside and we were working with you, you would see everything that we're thinking through. You're seeing, all right, how are we approaching periodization? How are we approaching the exercises that we pick? How are we approaching what equipment you should be using or maybe purchase to help add an element to your program. And so that morphed into then 200 plus lessons later, 23 hours of, of videos. But the videos, I, I hope Jason, you'll agree, they're kind of snack size. They're five to 10 minutes. They're quick. You get in there. It's not, uh, oh, I'm going to watch a two and a half hour lecture here by Chris, you know, the talking head of my computer. And we wanted to just basically show you what we've proven out now over a decade of training teams and individuals online in a remote way that now the rest of the world had to deal with immediately with no heads up, right? You didn't have a year or two to kind of figure out your systems. Whereas we've had a decade and we've seen results with every type of swimmer, with every type of team. So we just kind of formalized it into a certification and two approaches, one, obviously to help swim coaches that didn't have the background knowledge of exercise science or strength conditioning. How do you approach dryland? But also on the other hand, we got a lot of teams now that 
have dry land specific coaches that don't have a swimming background. And I thought this was a good way to help them understand, especially module one. Okay, here's some of the history of swimming and dry land training. And here's how swimmers and coaches are operating in this sport specifically, which is so unique from other sports because it's in an aquatic environment. You know, and I'm going to talk a little bit about the pros of that online platform too. Um, it has great features to it. If you are a reader, you can download the actual transcript of each video. If you are a watcher, you can watch it in real time. Um, but, and Chris, you've done a great job of trying to pace that video really well. Um, but you can also change the speed of the video. So like I'm somebody that I listen to podcasts on 2X and I have to do that. And I'll throw the video on 2X and I can go through a three minute video in a minute and a half. So it's cutting that time down for me. Or if there's something that I need to go back and say, okay, Chris blew me away with the trapezius muscle here. And I've got to really kind of uh, backtrack and I want to slow it down. So there are some great pros to having that platform online. What would you say is the best benefit to having an online platform? Uh, it's been crazy, Jason the countries that some of these coaches are enrolling from. Like I, I felt dumb. I was like, I didn't even know that was a country. <laughs> I didn't even know where in the world that was when I see that, you know, when they sign up and to your point about the transcripts, and this is something that didn't even dawn on me, but I, I would say at least uh, a quarter, maybe even a third of the people that we've had enroll or become SSDC English, English is their second language. Like we got people over, you know, in Italy, we have people over in Southeast Asia where English is not, you know, what they are, are native to. And so them having the transcripts to help when some words maybe don't jive or, or they're not understanding it or for them to be able to read it helps them translate it so much more. And so I think that in just terms of the reach now that we're able to do, it's not just, all right, you know, English-based countries like in the States or UK or Australia, but now any country, it doesn't matter your language, you can now figure out how do I do dry land better for my athletes. Um, and I, like you said, I think it has a lot of easy features, but it's not overwhelming either where it's all about the features. We wanted to make the content first and foremost, and not a lot of extra bells and whistles just to have them. Agreed. And I also like that the, the platform goes hand in hand with your YouTube channel. So mm -hmm. like uh, this morning I did some uh, some suitcase carries with my kids and we did you didn't see on my Instagram post but we did uh, like single leg layouts for warm up and 180 yeah. degree jumps but um, I'll send a Google Doc to my kids with what here's what the workout is and I turn YouTube videos into animated gifs so that way they play as the kids look at the workout and I can do that hand in hand with your program and I think that that's a really big piece of it as well. Um, yeah, because to, to your point, Jason, we have over a thousand exercises on our YouTube channel and that's taken years to accumulate. But what good is a thousand exercises if you don't know how to program it or where to put them? And I think that's the trap coaches fall into when they're scrolling through Instagram or searching on YouTube. Like your intention is good, but if you don't have a process or a structure to then place that and understand where is this in the bigger picture of this athlete's development, of the season, of a multi-year season, then that gets to be really tough. Agreed, 100%. Okay, so Chris, let us uh, let me pose a couple scenarios to you. So you come out with this program, and I'm a big fan. I'm not saying that because, you know, you and I are doing this podcast. I, I'm, you're not paying me to say any of this. Like, I sent you an Instagram message the other day. I'm like, hey, this is some of the best PD that I've had in a very, very long time. 
Um, so what would you say to the coach that says we've lost too much time in the water over the past year? So we've got to catch up with that. We don't have time for dry land. So if you want, the end goal is to be faster in the water, right? And I feel that dry land can exponentially increase the results of whatever your training program is, right? Like, I don't care if you're on the, the ultra short pace race side or high volume somewhere in the middle, it doesn't matter to me, right? If whatever you're doing in the water, how you approach training, I can five to 10 times the results if you implement proper dryland training. So I'm going to make you look like a better coach <laughs> if you implement this dryland and your swimmers are going to be like, wow, I'm swimming so much faster. I'm not achy in my shoulder. I'm not having to sit out because I'm injured. And that centers around three key points in terms of building up a swimmer's body. So number one, a high strength to body weight mass ratio. So pull-ups is the king example of that. The more pull-ups you can do, the higher that ratio is. That's a very good thing for swimmers. You talk about Caleb Dressel. Yeah, he's a little bit of a more slender, definitely muscular guy, but a more slender than what we'd seen in the late 2000s, right? When people were getting into those super suits, but he's extremely strong still. So that's checks that box. The next box would be a strong core. Again, we talk about what did the super suit reveal about kind of a, almost a cheat code, if you will, about swimming. If you're really strong in the core, if you have a kayak for your middle, you're going to slice through the water. And then lastly, need to be mobile. It doesn't do you any good as a coach. You know, you can be yelling them until you're blue in the face, get your elbow up, you know, hold that catch. But if they physically can't get in position, it doesn't matter how many videos you show them or exercise that you take them through or, or interesting drills in the water. So you do have time for it because your end goal is to get them a faster swimmer. And if you can get exponential results out of the time that you put in, right, Jason, even, even like you said, doing some of those warm ups, some of those jumps, it doesn't take that much time. And I think that's still an old mentality some coaches need to shed of, all right, I got to dedicate an hour three times a week. So now I got to cut my water time in half on those days. That's not the case. And especially now that we, for better or for worse, have Zoom so much integrated into our life on some level. Now with, especially like you said, the platform and the YouTube, you can share the workout with your kids and say, all right, kids, hey, we're going to do a core workout. And this is what you need to do at home for 15 minutes, you know, after or before practice, you can figure out ways to work around the set pool time. Because I, I know that's a big anchor for a lot of the programs, right? Your pool time is your pool time. Everything else moves around it, but hopefully this will help you be creative in a little bit. And I, I wrote down two things. So you talked about strong core, like a kayak. I was screaming at my kids this morning. I was like, embrace your inner kayak, embrace your inner kayak. So uh, that's great. We had, good, yeah, we had a good time with that. Um, but then when you talk about mobility, I've got a, I've got a young boy who truly like swimming is the only sport that he can do physically. Um, he's got a couple health issues. And so as a result, he doesn't have that developmental period, that window of athleticism development. And we were doing back squats and he had the bar on his back, just the bar, nothing else. And he physically could not get into a position to do a proper squat. And mm -hmm. I showed him videos. I talked to him. I'm like, stand up taller, blah, 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 you know, proud chest, all the things. And I'm like, it's not him choosing not to do it right. It's his inability to to not do it correctly. And that's where this comes in and where now I'm seeing like, you know, I'm, I'm think I'm 22% of the way through 
the SSDC. Um, and it's like, okay, it, it makes more sense to me now. Whereas before I might've been annoyed with that athlete. Now it's like, okay, there's something that I can do as a coach that's going to try to foster a more well-rounded athlete that's going to then transfer into the water. So that's huge. Right. And you think about Jason, now you've avoided a situation where then you're going to think, God, this kid just isn't listening or he's not putting in the effort. But that was because before you didn't have a couple options to think through, right? You were only thinking, all right, this is what they need to do. And just that's squat. what I'm hoping. Right, exactly. Like, and, and so that's what I'm hoping going through the certification and becoming dryland certified helps coaches understand is there's a couple different routes you can take. There's options, right? You're not going to have 30 athletes all be identical. There's going to be higher level athletes in that group, average and below average. And you need to figure out how does, how can you create a program that individualizes group training? And that can feel overwhelming if you don't know where to start with that. Exactly. So let's talk about it this way. Um, so the SSDC certification costs, I believe, $4.99 on your website. Um, what do you say to the coach that says they can't justify that cost for their program? So I was interviewing one coach, uh, Jim Vanetta, and he's he's been through a lot of our stuff. But he, even though he's not actively full-time coaching right now, um, they were in the middle of a move. So he kind of had to, to sit, step away from the coaching position. But he talked about investing in your coaches, like at a club level, that makes your coaches want to stick around longer. That makes your coaches feel valued. And if you're saying we can't figure out a way to budget $500 over a year time, like I know COVID has been tough, but you think about what you're going to gain from that. The coaches are going to feel valued. The coaches, like you just said, are going to feel armed with more information to better coach and connect with the athletes. The athletes are going to get better results. They're not going to be out of the water injured as often. I mean, that's a favorite thing, not favorite, but a question I'll always ask when I go around to conferences and talk to coaches, like raise your hand if the majority of your group has been injury free for a season or two plus. And at some point, you know, coaches, they're going to have kids just churn through because of injuries. That doesn't make anybody happy. And if you talk about at the club level, the shareholders, quote unquote, the parents and the kids, if they're not happy with the results, they're going to leave and go to the other club down the street. So it's it's just a, a better way to approach it. And again, dryland can be such an exponential difference for both preventing injuries, but improving performance as well. Um, and yeah, I think it's extremely well-priced for all the stuff that we've added in and the value for that. And I, at that point, if you say, all right, Chris, we just really can't afford it. All right, we'll wait till next time. But at the same time, I hope you understand how important it is to budget for that. If it truly isn't available for you right now, you need to think, how can we get to this to enable our coaches to be more impactful, to connect with the athletes and to help the athletes enjoy the sport more and see better performance. And, you know, Chris, I'll talk a little bit on that injury prevention piece. Like, you know, and this morning, again, kind of eye-opening to me, if I don't, if I don't properly educate myself with that athlete who does not know how to squat, he's going to develop long-term inhibitions to improperly hinge and squat and brace and do all of those things that uh, could create long-term uh, athlete injuries. And, you know, we have families that invest time and money in swimsuits and hotel visits and all of these things that as a coach now, I feel obligated to ensure that, uh, and I mean, it's not, 
it's not intentional. It's not like I look at my last, uh, my career in coaching and thinking, well, that kid had an injury and missed out on their championship meet. And that kid had an injury, missed out on four weeks of, I mean, it's not intentional. It, it might be a little negligent now that I look back on it. And I don't want to say that and, you know, upset any listeners, but I, I see that if families are going to put in that, that financial piece to ensure that their athletes are going to be successful and prepared and available. I think a big piece of module one was talking about the number one ability is availability. I think that coaches can justify putting in that piece as well. Um, yeah. And, and on that note, Jason, you, I don't think you've gotten to this lesson yet. I think it's in the equipment module equipment uh, number eight. And that's where, again, it can be confusing for coaches. If we have a very limited budget, what equipment do we get, right? And we kind of walk you through our, if you have a bare bones budget, just get this and this. And if you have an average or above average, and in that I talk about, if you're going to encourage your kids to go out and buy, you know, $400, $500, whatever they are suits at this point, right? And then you're going to turn around and say, we can't figure out how to get $500 for one coat certification. Like th there's, there's an imbalance there on that. Or if you need to get your kids to purchase some of the equipment themselves, like maybe especially in the year of COVID, everybody needs their own bands. Everybody needs their own this, right, for cleanliness and just protocols or whatever. And again, if you're going to have your kids go out and spend a couple hundred dollars on uh, suits, but can't say, oh, spend $20 on this band or $30 on this piece of equipment, it's really going to help. There's an imbalance there on that. But I think it's more because coaches simply don't know, oh, if I just ask them to pay $20 for this piece of equipment, it's going to expand what I can program now and help them so much more. Yeah, you talked about finding the equipment that gets the most bang for your buck. And like mm -hmm. I was watching and it was the it was the single arm bridge sandbag drags. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I was like, there's no way that we could ever do that. Maybe I can like, you know, put some sort of like a handle on a medicine ball. And then we were in the weight room this morning and the football team had sandbags that I didn't even recognize in the corner. And so now, but that's on the Because they weren't even so. on your radar that you would use them or what you would use them for, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm going to just give my real quick testimony being a quarter of the way through this program. Um, it's easy and has immediate implementation possibilities. So um, I put on my Instagram this morning and um, you know, there, there were active warm-up, and I didn't know the difference between mobility work versus warm-up work. So I mean, trying to find what is the right, what is the right, uh, what is the right strategy to use depending on what you want. Before it was just like, okay, we're gonna do some dry land work, but it wasn't targeted. So um, and that's something that really quickly I was able to discern between the two because of this platform. Uh, it's goal-centric, and it's not one of those things that's just going to be hey, we are going to try to make sure that everybody gets this done. It is, what is your goal for the week? How many, how many lessons are you trying to do? Uh, put together a, an agenda, a, like a weekly routine of how you're going to do it. When are you going to try to finish it by? And that was big for me as I fi finished up module one. I'm like, okay, I've got a little bit more structure to this now that I can really see myself every day. I'm going to knock off one lesson on Sundays. I'm going to try to knock out the remaining of the module. Well, and Jason, now, to that point, because we're going to have our open enrollment here. We've been doing some stuff. We have uh, a brand new outline that people are going to be able to print out and follow their progress even more. So all the things that you like so far, we're 10xing it in terms of some things that we're having unveiled here in the next week to help people push through. Because like you said, the whole point is to be able to use the information 
and implement it after you understand it. I don't care if people buy it and never go through it. I almost don't want that because then that means we're not doing our job in what we've created. I want people to purchase, make the investment, set aside the time, and then learn and implement and see the results. And that was the third thing I was going to say was it's prepackaged but it's empowering. So it's one of those things like, here's a whole lot of stuff that you can do, but you've got to think about what you need to do. Chris needs to think about what's going to work for Chris's team. Jason's got to think about what's going to work for Jason's team. So let's let's walk through the process of periodization for your program and implementation for your program. And let's look at your athletes. Are they, you know, I love that it's tiered as well, where you've got level one of these different uh, strategies and level two and level three. So you're building athletes and you're growing them as well. Um, and- so I, Yes. And on that, I know you've watched that one in particular, but for the audience to know, even if you're a coach and you're like, I haven't done any dryland, Chris. I mean, we onboarded a team the other day where the coach has been coaching a long time. He's like, I don't have any dryland program. <laughs> I know I need one. So I came to you. Even if all your athletes are level one, they can still have tremendous results from doing those exercises because you've put it at the appropriate level. The problem is when you treat level one athletes like level three and give them an exercise that's over their head, they're either going to get hurt, discouraged, or you're going to get frustrated as a coach because ah, I'm not seeing what I want. Yeah, exactly. And I think that for coaches out there that are in that same boat, I think that you're going to get that much more bang for the buck. I think that the, the athleticism impacts of going from a level one to a level two are going to show off in the pool more than a level two to a level three where like, it's kind of like the rule in the NFL is, you know, you're pretty much going to get as good as you're going to get after the first three years in the NFL. Like beyond that, it's going to be more difficult to have those measurable gains, but having that first big chunk taken care of is, is crucial. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what coaches want is to see every swimmer succeed in their group, right? No matter what level you're coaching, whether that's college, club, young age groupers, I think all coaches are in this because deep down they want to share with swimmers what they got from this sport in terms of the the work ethic, the enjoyment, and seeing I put in my work and now I'm going to get the benefits paid off. Agreed, 100%. All right, Chris, I got about two minutes left. Anything you want to say about the Surge uh, Strength Dryland program? Uh, If you are at all interested, open enrollment is going to start Monday, April 26th. And it's only open for four days. So you better make a decision quick because we are closing the doors. And we decided to do it this way after we've had a couple hundred coaches go through and enroll. We thought it was better to structure this way to help coaches go through. There's going to be some group study calls with me. So I'm making sure I'm available for one-off questions, um, even though I think we've covered it pretty well in the curriculum. But just being there to support coaches and even master swimmers that are coaching themselves, they're going through it as well. So make the decision. You're only going to have a couple days. Make sure you're on it. And the website is surgestrength.com and you can go directly and enroll and just slash certification. But Jason, I'm glad you're enjoying it, especially you as an educator. I appreciate that you appreciate how we put it together and that it's jiving with how you're wanting to learn and then implement it. Yes. And as as somebody that can, you know, we... I'm the instructional technology coordinator for our school district and our school went virtual for a chunk of the school year. And I can, I can tell you and rest assured that I failed about 7,000 students and we did not do it very well. Um, I assure you that Chris has not failed you. This is a really good program and I will put my stamp of approval on it. 
Jason, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on the podcast. And I'm excited to come back maybe six months, a year from now and hear once you're fully through SSDC certified and implementing it for months, seasons at a time, the results you're seeing. I'm pumped, Chris. Have a good one. Thank you.